Growing Together, a podcast for educators and community members in our fabulous Douglas County School District. This season, we will bring you interviews with educational leaders about topics that matter. Let's jump into this episode as we grow together. So welcome to the show, Tina. We have Tina Bogren with us today. We have some questions, Tina, for you to talk about self-care and just how to take care of ourselves during this, this crazy time that we're in. So welcome to the show today. Thank you. I am so thrilled to be here. Douglas County is the school district that raised me, so it is an honor to be here, truly. Welcome home. (laughs) So what are you seeing? You have a connection to educators. What's the biggest need right now? The tagline that I've been seeing recently is the, the idea of taking care of the adults in the building so that they can exquisitely take care of students. And I think of the gazillion lessons that we are still learning through COVID and the pandemic and all of this maneuvering. I think that the the Band-Aid kind of got ripped off on that in terms of we really cannot do this job unless we take care of ourselves. The expectations have just gotten out of control somewhat. And so <laughs> the notion that we have got to make time for it and that and that there's nothing selfish about it, that by actually taking care of ourselves, we are way more apt and able to take care of our students. The, the idea that self-care doesn't sit separate from student achievement, that they go hand in hand, I think is essential, essential for us. And, and when I say educator, I mean everyone that works in our schools, every single right. person. I use that at such an umbrella term, but classroom teachers and paras and counselors and social workers and our administrative assistants and leaders, every single person, that reminder of how essential it is to take care of ourselves. I think you said something really important about the expectations have gotten so out of control. You're right, it's for all of us. So how do we think about boundaries and parameters? I know educators have an educator's heart, of course, and they will expand to as big of capacity as possible. But at some point to be able to take care of ourselves, how do we establish boundaries? Yeah, it's such a great question. I think first there's, um, I think a helpful starting place is how kind of in my mind, there's two types of self-care. So there's one type of self-care, which is um, what most of us think of oftentimes when we hear self-care, which is the feel good drinking wine, eating chocolate, right? Vacation, toes in the sand. And listen, I am here for that (laughs) self-care. But that is so few and far between. So my day-to-day definition of self-care is actually very, very different from that. It's the notion of true exquisite caring for ourselves. And the lens that I use to talk about self-care is Maslow's hierarchy. And the reason for that is because it works. And it's it's the same lens that we use to talk about social emotional learning for students. And I love the idea, if we picture Maslow's hierarchy as having two sides to it, one side for students, right? Of course, we're working so hard, the Maslow before Bloom and ensuring that all those levels are solid. My perspective is that we have to walk around to the other side of that pyramid and make sure that the adults are stable in each of those levels. So self-care looks different from that lens. This is the self-care that will help us go to work tomorrow and be a better educator, which means Mm -hmm. it comes down to really hard choices oftentimes. Like in the name of of feel-good self-care, I could sit and watch every single episode of Schitt's Creek over and over again. And I could say, oh, self-care, which is fine for a little while, but I can't do that every single night. Where in actuality, the real self-care 
is <laughs> that hard, hard choice to turn it off and put myself to bed, right? And yeah. so the the idea of self-care and choices like that, which is just kind of a different lens. It's not consumer self-care. It's not something we can buy. It's not something someone's going to sell to us. That true self-care is that very core definition of securing our own oxygen mask before we assist others. That's a really good point. What do you see as some of the healthiest choices? I think it is about making healthy choices. What do you see those highest impact healthy choices that we can make? Yeah, I always say, you know, just start with level one of Maslow, which is which is the worst level because it's our physiological needs, which is diet, sleep, and exercise. Right. And the reason we start there is because the reminder that the research tells us that if that level isn't solid, we cannot even pay attention. So that is like the core. And those three areas, diet, sleep, and exercise, if we think about it in times of stress or trauma or crisis, those are the areas that fly out the window first, even if we have good habits. Yeah. Like I think of when... COVID first hit and we all ate all of the quarantine snacks and, and maybe it was just me, but I know it wasn't just me. No, no it wasn't just you. Oh my gosh. We just, we lost our minds for a little bit because in times of stress and crisis, those fly out the window. And then we, we can do that for a little while and it feels good. But then that radical act of self-care is cleaning that up. And that doesn't mean no treats or any of that. That just means yeah. Let's put like I always say treat ourselves like puppies, right? What yes. do puppies need? Puppies need sleep and they need love and they need water and they need to eat at certain times and they need to go for a walk. And the more that we can treat ourselves gently like that, when we do those things, that and if we think about when we feel better physically, then we act better. I know right. for myself, if I go multiple days without getting a good night's sleep, I'm like a bear to be around. And we are in a profession where we have to be around other people. Our emotions matter <laughs> and the emotions are contagious. So, you know, when we think of Maslow and we want to go all the way to the top of that pyramid, which is self-actualization and transcendence, the reminder is that we can't get to those top levels if the bottom four levels aren't strong. In fact, in my book, what I did is I took Maslow's hierarchy, that's typically that pyramid, and I just turned it into a ladder for that, that metaphor's sake of right. we want to climb to the top. But if those bottom four rungs of our ladder, which is our physiological needs, safety, belonging, and esteem, if those aren't solid, <laughs> some of them this year feel like someone ripped it off and threw them in the fire. So first we have to find them and then put them back together so we have that landing that we can kind of rely on. Yes, I think we can't even be a good fill in the blank, mom, sister, yes, spouse, yes. friend, you know, if we can't even take care of ourselves and and like you said, even that belonging is one of those rungs and tending to our relationships is yes. part of it. And I think of that, I mean, every single one of these have been impacted so deeply during this unique time of COVID, right? Because our relationships, that was, in, in fact, you could argue that our biggest struggle as educators this year was the push-pull between safety and belonging, right? <laughs> so safety required us to all be at home, but then the sacrifice that we made in terms of belonging and we just, there's no right or wrong. It's that, that, oh, that push pull between those two levels is huge. And then esteem, I think about, oh my gosh, my heart goes out to the experienced and your expert, incredible teaching staff that felt like, you know, for no one's fault, they got the rug pulled out from underneath them. And so right. their esteem took a huge hit. All the coaching that I do, it's such an unusual year in that I feel like 
in many cases, first year teachers are actually <laughs> doing better than our experienced teachers. Cause when you don't know you, what you don't know, not to say that it's easy by any stretch, right, right. but for experienced teachers, I think there's, there's nothing more frustrating than to know what works and not be able to do it. And that can be a real esteem just kick. So every single one of those levels being hit so hard yes, and just yes. working so hard to put those pieces back in place. You, you connected it back to student achievement. And of course, all of our educators are coming back to, to school now. We're back in person. We're talking about how do we continue to meet all of our students' needs. And in some cases, we're trying to do, we're trying to do everything and we're trying to make up for a year's time, yep. which is cutting into that, those boundaries as well. Talk to me about any ideas you have for managing that, just the workload. Absolutely, without a doubt, that notion of yes, our, our number one responsibility is around student achievement. What I always come back to is the all of the research that tells us that the absolute most direct correlation to student achievement is the teacher in the classroom. To me, that is like the lightning bulb moment that it's the teacher. It's not the class size or the curriculum or the assessment, all of which is important. Don't miss right. that. But it's the teacher, the human being. Yes. So when we can protect that, we're, and we're actually protecting student achievement, that they don't sit separate from each other. Mm -hmm. So setting those boundaries, there's a real guilt. We're in a profession, too, where we say things like give 110%, right? Well... No, <laughs> that's what leads to burnout. That's what I'm so worried about, that we are just burning. We are burning the candle at both ends and all the way through the middle right now. Mm -hmm. And we can't continue at this level. And so how do we set those healthy boundaries that we're not at all lowering expectations in terms of what we're doing for students, but in a way that feels just where we're standing on a little bit more solid ground. Mm -hmm. And I think that... Of course, we're all worried about student achievement, but when we take a step back and recognize it is that that meme that we've all seen of Maslow before Bloom, yes. but the absolute truth of that is we've got to get kids feeling, feeling solid at those, those bottom rungs, which means we need the adults to feel safe and solid at those bottom rungs as well. Yeah. So that oh, as we move into next year, and it's also not going to magically just go away as we get to the other side of this, that these pieces will be there. Who knows what what the further kind of ramifications of all of this are. So just being prepared for what's what's still to come on the other side of this. Right. That's good advice. You mentioned our students. So thinking about our students, I mean, we focused a lot on the adults, but our kindergartners through our our seniors in high school are also experiencing some of this trauma. How do we help them come back from it? How do we help them cope? How do we help them think about self-care as well? Yeah. You know, what I love about the, the approach of, of using Maslow is that when we think of that pyramid of having both sides. Yeah. So in workshops and books and, and the things that I talk about, what's so great is we can wear the lens of having both sides. So everything we talk about that's good for students is also good for the adult right. and vice versa. So when we even when we think about level one, diet, sleep, and exercise, right? So just ensuring in our classrooms, you know, are students drinking water? Are we taking physical movement brain breaks? Are we going for walks? And how are we helping students make the connection between how much sleep they're getting and how they feel, even though we can't follow them home and put them to bed, but making that connection. 
And, you know, safety, safety to me is the, so the second level has been impacted the hardest, I would say, this year. Because in order to feel safe, we need three things. We need a sense of order, we need predictability, and we need fairness. And if you think about this year, (laughs) we lost all those things, right? For students and adults, right? Everything's out of order. That's really hard for so many students. Mm-hmm. The predictability piece for all of us, not knowing what next week is going to hold. And then fairness. Oh, you yeah. know, my niece graduated from uh, Thunder Ridge High School last year. She was a senior last year. And we just, all of our hearts break, right? It's no one's fault. It just was so not fair. That's not right. the graduation that we wanted. You know, that's not the closures. So, and for all of us. So when we think about meeting these needs for students, I think it, 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 it's that sense of collective efficacy that we're not meant to do this work on our own. And I, I think of it in terms of teachers helping each other to kind of carry the load and also recognizing this with students when we when we work on stabilizing each level of that ladder or that pyramid together. Oh, it just benefits everyone. It's like the the tide rises for all of us, which is essential. And it, you know, and it expands even beyond obviously, but beyond our own classrooms and buildings, this is so true for families, families that are going through, I mean, everyone is usually parents too, and trying to sort all of this out. So it's just, again, that sense of all of us working together in the name of our own professional wellness is huge. If we think about, you know, people are getting vaccinated now, many restrictions are being lifted, we're sensing going back to at least some version of normal. We've also got the end of the school year coming up and we hear a lot of talk about, you know, revitalizing and refreshing for next year. You also mentioned we have to prepare for next year and knowing that we're not gonna be completely normal. So what does that transition look like? I think a lot of us wanna walk in the first day of school next year and it's like, okay, everything's gone, we're back to normal. So how do we prepare for that? Yeah. Oh gosh. I, <laughs> I so wish I could be like, here, ta-da, here's the answer. Right? That's a good question. <laughs> Something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Well, a couple of things. So number one is the, the idea of the primacy recency effect, which just tells us that we remember the beginning and the end of things. So there is something to be said about being really thoughtful about the start of next year and also the end of this year. This also goes with the idea of, I think we're in we're in a legacy year this year for sure. And we may very well be next year as well. And what I mean by that is that it's a year that we will all remember forever, particularly yes. students. And the the vision that, it, well, all of us, but the vision that I say is, you know, picture our students, take a seventh grader right now and, you know, fast forward 10, 15 years from now and picture that, that kid sitting around a living room with their friends somewhere and Someone starts a conversation that says, oh my gosh, do you remember that 2020, 2021 school year? And they're like, yes, that was crazy. Remember we were in school and then we're out of school and we had to wear masks and six feet and three feet and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And then invariably part of that conversation will be, yes, I remember I had Miss Morgan as my teacher. Mm -hmm. I had Mr. Rundle was my principal. And the question becomes, how do we want them to finish that sentence? What is the legacy we're leaving? How do we want them to remember us? Which is so hard because we are stressed and it's hard. And if we're not so careful about that legacy, 
if we are feeling so anxious and worried and that's the legacy we're leaving, we're going to regret that later on down the road that as we are rightfully so and should be so concerned about student achievement, we're actually the legacy we're leaving is we're teaching kids how to deal with a crisis. They're getting a message from their families. They're getting a message from the world. And you better believe they're getting a message from us in our schools of how we deal with this. And this will not be the last time that something like this happens. My God, I hope it's not for years. But what we know is there's always going to be something. And, you know, the students are watching us to determine whether they're internalizing that consciously or not. What What they're learning is how we deal with stress and crisis. And I think... Gosh, the legacy we want to leave is, yeah, that was a really hard year, but here's what I remember. Gosh, we laughed a lot that year. Or, you know, those, they're not going to remember that specific content, but you bet they're going to absolutely remember how they felt, what they, the bigger picture there. Yep. And I think if we can remember that for this year and hold on to that for next year as well. The other part of that is anything that we can do to bring, (laughs) I know this sounds nearly impossible, but to bring our stress level down, because there's a lot of research that says, and it makes sense logically, highly stressed teachers at the start of the school year face ramifications for that all year long. They have more discipline issues and because of that emotional contagion piece. So we want to tread very carefully as we think about starting next year, just coming from a place of learning lessons from this year what a, my goodness, the hope is that, and I feel fairly confident saying next year at least will not look like the start of this <laughs> right. year. Right? We've gotten, we've moved beyond. And so anything that we can do to have that real sense of calm to start the year, and I wish I had the magic response of how to do that, but I think just that awareness piece is going to help. I think so too. That was, I got chills as you were talking about that. So it was an aha moment for me. And it will definitely be a takeaway from this this conversation oh, today. Absolutely. So um, I'm looking forward to keeping some of the great things that we learned this year and starting a new chapter next year with some of that new learning. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's hard when we're, we're still... Yes, there's hope and vaccines, and I feel like, yes, we're going to get to the other side of this, right? I put some of my quarantine snacks away, but yet, (laughs) we're not fully on the other side. And it's always so hard to learn the lessons when you're still in it. So different strategies appeal to different people, but something that I've, I've suggested for teachers and students and staff to do is to sit down and part of, as you close out this school year, write a TADA list. And a ta-da list is exactly what it sounds like, the celebration. Like, what are all the things we can celebrate? Because our brain likes to point out all the things that maybe didn't go the way that we wanted it to. But, wow, there's a lot to celebrate. What are those ta-das? And when we identify that, then how can we hold those as we move into next year so that we don't just slide back? It's not like everything was perfect pre-pandemic, right? Right. Right. There was a, a survey that was done by Yale and Casel this year in 2020, just asking, they asked over 5,000 educators, like their, their top emotions, and they were anxiety and worry and overwhelm and tired, right? And mm-hmm. so I dug back though, which makes perfect sense for 2020, but I followed that research back and they did the same survey in 2017 and hindsight 2020, literally, it feels like, what did we have to worry about in 2017? We didn't even know the word coronavirus or pandemic. But in reality, the same survey 
had the same exact words. Happy made it onto the list in 2017 that wasn't in 2020, but they were the same words. Wow. That's the they were from different things. 2020 was all related to the pandemic, but overwhelmed and anxious and tired and exhausted were all on that same list for different reasons. So if we're not careful, we don't want to slide back to what things were before. So if we can really take that time to celebrate via a tada list, if that's too cheesy, you can call it something else, but that true celebration of what the year was so that as we move forward, we're very careful about a thoughtfulness in moving forward. I hope that people watching and listening take some time to really implement that. That's a great idea. Yeah. I usually ask our guests, what's the one takeaway? But I feel like that's a really great takeaway and you've given us so many strategies. Before we wrap up today, I'll change the question a little bit. Is there anything that you want our parents, our families, our educators to walk away with as a learning today? Here's what I know about educators. It's why I love educators so much. We are in a caring profession. Yes. So I will work with leaders that want so desperately for their teachers to take care of themselves, right? And then I work with teachers that want so desperately for students to get <laughs> my biggest message is it starts with you right you yes. yourself so one of the greatest things that a leader can do is model their own self-care and professional wellness for their staff it's just like in the classroom and it's just like with parents right it's if we want our students or our teachers or faculty to do certain things they have to see it modeled for us so i right. always oh i think i think instead of saying, yes, you should take care of yourself. <laughs> it needs to start with, oh, wait, I should take care of myself. And to really give ourselves permission to do that without guilt, that by doing that, we are actually better educators, we're better partners, we're better colleagues. You can go all the way down the list. And that's true for each and every one of us. It sometimes feels like no, that's for this person or, oh, I have to work really hard, but I want you to be able to take a break. And it just doesn't work that way. And that's that's a hard lesson that I think is pretty unique to our profession. We are a caring profession and we just need those reminders sometimes of securing our own oxygen mask before we assist others. And it starts every single one of us doing that. Yes, I agree. I, I think permission is a, a big thing and to be able yeah. to do that without guilt is is huge and I hope that like I said everyone listening today is able to take that away it's such good advice yeah me too well Tina I know we're coming to the end of our time it has been so wonderful to talk with you this is such good learning for for me and just good reminders it's springtime and it's I always feel like springtime is a really good time to start thinking about you know renewing and refreshing so I think this is timely as well Good, yes. And you know, I always say, what is it? We we teach what we most need to learn. So yep, I am on the journey right beside you. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank yeah. you for being with us today. Thank you.